Welcome to the Healthy Compulsive Project podcast, where you can take a deep dive to explore the pitfalls and potential of the obsessive compulsive personality, offering hope and help for perfectionists, workaholics, micromanagers, type A personality, and control freaks. I'll be taking off shortly for a couple of weeks of vacation. And since it's summer, I thought it might be helpful to listeners to have some support in surviving that particular challenge of enduring the imperfections that inevitably arise when you're supposed to be blissing out in Shangri-La. That contradiction between how things are supposed to be and how they really are can create a trial for compulsives, which takes a fair amount of consciousness to get through. This episode of the Healthy Compulsive Project combines two blog entries about vacationing, The first is A Short Guide to Vacationing for Workaholics, Compulsives, and Type A's. The second is There Will Be Roosters, which documents my personal battle to stop obsessing about distraction on vacation. A Short Guide to Vacationing for Workaholics, Compulsives, and Type A's. Originally posted on the Healthy Compulsive Project blog on July 21, 2018. Vacations are no vacation for people who are compulsive, workaholic, or type A. If any of these describe your personality, it might take you more effort to relax and enjoy a vacation than to stay at the office and get things done. Why bother? Here's a scientifically proven fact that could inspire you to loosen up for a little while. Time away from work helps us to be more creative and productive. Rest is just as essential to doing good work as persistence. Really, your brain doesn't stop working on a problem if you lie in a hammock for 11 minutes. In fact, you're actually more likely to come up with a solution to that snag you've been blocked by if you give it a rest. Once you stop focusing on the problem consciously, an entirely different part of your brain springs into action to work on the problem. And according to researchers at the University of Amsterdam, it often reaches far better solutions. So, ironically, if you don't take time for R&R, you miss an opportunity to boost your productivity. But for people who are compulsive, workaholic, or type A, it's hard to trust that if the ego stops trying to manage everything, other parts of your psyche will step up and do a better job. Take vacations, for example. We're set up for failure in this area. We're programmed to control and produce, neither of which cohabit well with vacation. Travel is infamously and deliciously unpredictable, and it's hard to let go and enjoy what there is to enjoy when things don't go as planned. And it doesn't seem like you're getting anything done on vacation, which, let's admit it, has become a little too important. But perhaps worse, compulsives can become critical of their own struggle to chill out. I know I should be enjoying myself, and I'm not, so I'm failing again, which is about as helpful as using kerosene to put out a fire. So here are some pointers for making the best of your time off. First, don't let your need for control ruin the vacation for you and everyone with you. Be with whatever is happening. Something will go wrong, I guarantee it. And it may feel like the worst possible thing that could go wrong. Still, that's no excuse to spoil the whole vacation, obsessing about how unfair it is, or what you did wrong in planning, or how someone else's sloppiness or laziness is keeping it from being perfect. It's raining, the Wi-Fi is out, and your rental car has gone in strike. Insert your favorite expletive. But with the right attitude, it can still be a good situation. It's not what happens that counts. It's your reaction to what happens that counts. You will laugh about it someday. 
Next, don't wait until problems get fixed to enjoy what's there. Compulsives like having things resolved. Sorry. It's going to take 36 hours for your luggage to arrive. That's 69.7% of your vacation, and believe me, those airline executives are not going to feel one bit of your pain, no matter how much you stew about it. How are the mojitos at the bar? Next, slow down. Seek quality, not quantity. Beware of trying to do everything in the limited time you have. You won't be able to see every waterfall, go on every ride, or visit every bakery in search of the perfect red velvet cupcake while you're there. Savor what you are able to do and see, and eat, and drink. Next, detox from your work addiction. You may well be addicted to work, and like any other addiction, when you try to stop, you'll experience withdrawal. Expect it to be very uncomfortable. At first, you'll get past it. If you must work, compartmentalize it. Limit calls or emails to a particular hour and then leave it. Put your phone away. If you insist on doing some sort of work or having a project, work on not working. Take the reins of your compulsive energy and make relaxing your destination. Come up with a mantra to help you persevere. Substitute presence for productivity. In order to let go of control and productivity, you'll need to put other things in their place. Savor the small things with all five senses. The smell of the air. The temperature. Textures, sand, smooth rock, the wooden tabletop, the sound of the breeze in the trees, the colors of buildings, water, leaves, and the eyes of your friends or family. Next, re-inhabit your body. I'm going to make an educated guess here that your body is more of a vehicle than a temple for you. You use it to get somewhere rather than enjoy the ride. You've been leaning so far forward to be productive that you've actually evacuated your own body. Try to get back inside. Take hot showers and baths. Enjoy stretching. Use progressive muscle relaxation. Exchange massages with your partner. Slow down enough to notice your in-breath and out-breath. Next, recall what's most important to you. Clarifying your priorities is one of the most important things you can do to move toward the healthier end of the compulsive spectrum. Unhealthy compulsivity is caused fundamentally by a very skewed sense of value and meaning. To start, ask yourself why you're taking this vacation. This is also a good time to think long term. What are the things that are going to make your life really satisfying? Vacation is a great time to experiment with letting go of the constant ego chatter about what you think needs to be done, and instead listening to other parts of you that call for something more fulfilling. You have a chance to trust that if you allow the controlling ego to let go and rest, other parts of you will make your life richer and give you better direction. If you struggle to achieve any of these bullet points, don't get down on yourself. You're a work in progress. Accepting the realistic limitations of being humanly imperfect is part of the Healthy Compulsive Project, and that's a challenge you can enjoy. There Will Be Roosters, a personal story about obsessing, published on March 3, 2022 on the Healthy Compulsive Project blog. Obsessing occurs when the capacity to focus and solve a problem by thinking runs into an emotional obstacle, a feeling we don't want to face. The thinking process gets derailed and stuck in recurring loops. Here's an example of this happening to me and how I handled it.
It's 4 a.m. on the first morning of my winter vacation. I've been looking forward to this for 10 months. I'm sleeping in the cottage we've rented, and just outside my window, the roosters go off. Or on. Whatever. Lots of them making lots of racket, and I begin to make my own racket in my own head. I'm obsessing. Already, my vacation is imperfect. I should have known there'd be roosters. I wasn't compulsive enough in my research. Now it's out of my control, and now I'm failing to be a healthy compulsive. Shame. Ideally, I'd focus on how lucky I am to be here and welcome the rooster chorus as local color, but that's not always how my mind works. When I can, I like to fix things, but there's no way to fix this. That would take getting out of bed and confronting a possibly aggressive animal. My chances of success would be slim at best. I don't think roosters speak English, at least not here. My best hope is to find a different way of thinking about it. The battle between the roosters, Mr. Smith, and my obsessive self. This won't be a cakewalk, but rather a battle. It's like a martial arts scene from The Matrix. Just when I think I've finished off the arch enemy, Mr. Smith, by promising myself vehemently that I'm not going to obsess anymore, dozens more Mr. Smiths come charging back at me, obsessively resurrecting and geometrically multiplying. Why do there have to be roosters outside my window anyway? It's not fair. They said nothing about this charming alarm in the Airbnb description. Worse, I shouldn't be obsessing about something so trivial. It's in bad taste. But the Mr. Smith-like thoughts keep coming at me, attacking both the roosters and my psychology, all the time maintaining their cool, reasonable, uber-confident demeanor. By way of contrast, my wife finds the crowing comforting, reminds her of her pet rooster, George. I have no such memories to rescue me. Yet, I decide to persist. I can't afford to lose this battle. It's not just that I don't want to ruin my vacation obsessing about all the different metaphorical roosters that will pop up when I'm supposed to be restoring myself. It's a bigger, more existential battle. The fact that the whole rooster debacle should be trivial is not lost on me. The fact that I don't experience it as trivial is just what keeps it from being trivial. My reactions to the roosters are just one example of my well-intentioned but well-off course obsessing self. This is a battle not just for my peace of mind, but my entire mind, and I decide to devote myself, again, to protecting my territory by any means necessary. Mindfulness, listening to the music of the roosters. First, I aim mindfulness straight at the roosters. I make their roosterly intrusions an object of my curiosity. Exactly what are those sounds they're making? Can you notate the rhythm? doop de doop de doo dotted eighth note, 16th note, dotted eighth note, another 16th note, followed by those percussive shrieks with two lyrical quarter notes. Most of the roosters rest silently after each call, but one of them, himself clearly compulsive, only rests for one beat, and thereby chants in 5-4 time, which doesn't come as easily to most of us as 4-4 time. I feel a blend of admiration and empathy. What are the pitches? Very roughly, since I don't have an instrument here with me to check, I think it's G, B-flat, C, B-flat, D, C, with the last two notes connected by a delicious descending glissando. Is it the same each squawk? Yes and no. Does each rooster have the same song? No, there are differences. One of them doesn't bother with the first note, as if omitting the word I at the beginning of a declarative sentence, which is strange since they speak a lot of French here and the French would never do that. He seems to assume that everyone knows exactly who he is. 
In any case, he's got a right to sing his own song. Noticing and accepting the feelings we'd rather avoid. Now that I've changed my relationship to the rooster from aversion to curiosity, I can pay attention to what feeling I keep running into and trying to avoid by obsessing. Key to dealing with obsessions is to see what feeling we're trying to think our way out of and face it down. Not to run from feelings that make us uncomfortable, but to get close enough to experience them without drowning in them. In this case, it's not a big surprise. It's my dear, dear old friend, anxiety about imperfection and lack of control, especially lack of control in vacation, as I've described in a previous post. But even though I had some idea that this was the underlying feeling, it didn't mean I'd accepted that I have less control than I'd like to. Mindfully studying the song of the rooster settled me down enough so that I could accept my limitations rather than fight them. Letting go, smile, release. Then I had to let go of the roosters and my wish to control them. I've practiced this enough time to have memorized what it feels like. Smile, release. The fourth of five prompts in meditation teacher Thich Nhat Hanh's suggested meditation routine. For me, releasing is like melting. All the muscles that had been frozen stiff return to a more natural state, discharging their supposedly sacred duty of being on guard against dangerous rooster noise intrusions. Substitutions, putting something finer in place of obsessing. Next, I needed to focus on something other than roosters and my failure to be a perfect vacation planner and perfect vacation taker. Ideally, this substitution is simple and in the present. Today, I use the faint warm breeze, the comfortable mattress, and the sound of the ocean waves breaking on the shore. I savor. Giving meaning to the little battles. I give meaning to the rooster disaster by placing it in the context of my ongoing and existential war against obsessing. It's an opportunity to exercise all these skills and take a small step forward. Fighting each battle and achieving a little progress is much more satisfying than letting obsessiveness win. If you're interested in this, I have a previous blog post on the importance of mastery for people with obsessive-compulsive personality. One way to improve our mental health is to practice in less dire situations first, cultivating skills and developing resilience to handle the more serious trials that will inevitably confront us. Move it. I decide to take action. Writing out this story solidifies my insight and serves as an example of what I've been encouraging readers to do in this blog and in my book. Turn the obsessive-compulsive problem on its head. Actually, I would argue that it's more like putting those tendencies back on their feet where they can do some good rather than having them flail around disturbingly upside down. Harness the natural tendency to bring order to chaos and use it against any disorderliness it might have unwittingly created. Focused problem solving is not a problem, and listing it to avoid unwanted feelings is a problem. If this really is a battle, it's not the slash and burn variety. As I suggest in my book, it's more like a campaign to take back the wheel of the obsessive-compulsive personality. The Diagnosis and Symbolism of Roosters We could debate whether roosters crow because they're proud or whether they're insecure. Apparently, they crow to announce their presence in the world in the morning, and thereafter to ward off threats to their food, hens, or territory. This could indicate genuine cockiness or a neurotic need for control. In either case, it's their way of keeping order in their world. 
I suspect that, like humans, some roosters are more neurotic than others, and just how neurotic they are depends upon whether the behavior derives from security or insecurity. Symbolically, their significance runs the gamut from virility to the illumination of new beginnings. If we extract the essence of these symbols, we might come up with a new way of seeing power and strength. Not the capacity to dominate with control, but the capacity to bring order to chaos in a constructive, meaningful, and fulfilling way. Post-Meridian Postlude The roosters continued to croon the rest of the day, albeit not with as much frenzy as in the early morning. I'm learning to hear them both as a call to battle and a cue to mindfulness. After all, there will always be roosters. You can find transcripts of this podcast with links to research sources and lots more at the Healthy Compulsive blog, www.thehealthycompulsive.com. If you'd like to subscribe to the Healthy Compulsive podcast, hit that subscribe button. And for a thorough guide to cultivating the positive potential of the compulsive personality, find my book on Amazon, The Healthy Compulsive, Healing Obsessive Compulsive Personality Disorder and Taking the Wheel of the Driven Personality. And if you find any of these helpful, let others know by leaving a review. Till next time, enjoy the drive.